anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new Guatemalan edition of Peddling Fiction. He is our local resident hillbilly, Justin Campbell. I am Johnny the Gentile Profita. We are peddling fiction. It's been a while since we last talked, but I got rid of all of the horns, honking horns and club music. And if you're watching the video, you can see I got a nice little uh, garden terrace view behind me. I'm safely in Guatemala, the last leg of the journey. What's been going on with you, Justin? Oh, nothing too much. Just uh, getting ready for this move we've been talking about. That's been that that's gonna that's probably gonna dictate or uh just completely control my life for the next month. <laughs> but it's fun and exciting, like we were we were talking about before the show. Um I am really excited about making this move. Just gotta gotta do it now. I think my wife is a little bit nervous. She uh hates moving, which I, I don't blame her. Everybody hates moving. It's always a little bit terrible, but at the same time it's gonna be really gonna be really good in the end. Yeah, it, it's always just so stressful and so many moving pieces, finding box. You got the livestock. <laughs> I always thought my biggest problem was like finding enough boxes to put all my stuff. Cause I, you know, there's a few things that I just hate fucking spending money on. One is boxes that you're going to use to put your stuff in. The other is like grocery bags to carry your, like, I just can't, even if it's 10 cents, I don't give a shit. I, it, it drives me crazy. I don't know if that's like just uh, like a thing with me because I, I, generally speaking, I don't think I'm a very cheap person, but like certain things, I just will not fucking spend money on them. And other things I'll spend like a ton, you know, if I think it's worth it, I won't even consider the, the price as an option. But my God, dude, yeah, moving boxes. I used to go to like paint stores and stuff and take any boxes that they were. That's a tip for anybody because I worked at paint stores too. And like we got a ton of boxes and a lot of times. If they don't fit like uh, gallons of paint well, we just toss them or they're perfectly willing to give them away for anybody and liquor stores too. And a lot of restaurants, like the uh, the stuff they get in that, that goes in the freezer, it comes in in boxes and usually they take it out of the boxes and just stick it in the freezer because it's easier to store that way. And so then they just end up with like tons of, you know, decent sized boxes that you can put books and stuff in. And so a lot of places have boxes and nothing good to do with them so when when are you going to be completely set up for all the uh the viewers out there at your new spot um we're we're gonna start getting some prep work done and stuff this weekend and i'm hoping shortly after the first of the year to be completely up up there and and settled in um at least for the most part we're we're getting the house listed uh this week We've I've had a realtor out, so we should have our house here listed within the next week or so. And, uh, and just the the hardest part is going to be the moving of the livestock. Got to catch ten chickens and find a place for them up there. And then the goats the goats won't be hard to uh, to get, but I've got to I've got to get a uh, like a pinned in area for them set up up there and all. Like we our backyard here is fenced in, so. You know, we just got the goats and turned them loose. But up there, I've got to actually build the pen and get all that ready and, and get the chicken coop built and set up and ready and then uh, catch them all and move them. So that'll be the, the fun part. And once all that's, I think once the livestock is moved, then everything else will just kind of be normal moving type stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I remember from Rocky that catching a chicken is uh, no picnic. You gotta eat lightning and crap thunder. <laughs> with 
ours, it depends on which one you're trying to catch. We have a, a couple of them that are a little more docile and they'll let you just pick them up and carry them around and they don't mind. But then we've got a few others that like to run and have to actually chase them. So, which that'll be, that'll be a good job for the kids. Go, go chase chickens. <laughs> yeah. We, well, we don't call them Justin Hillbilly boy for nothing. That is right. <laughs> All right. So, well, last time we left off, I know Omicron or whatever the hell this new variant is. Omicron. Omicron. Omicron was like, all the rage people were freaking out it had all these mutations and we were considering another round of lockdowns and what's been going on with that stateside so did you i don't know if you've seen probably not since you're living in the mountains uh of guatemala but the first official case of omicron has been declared here in the united states it's a guy in California that had been in South Africa and then came back, started feeling sick, got tested. They determined it's Omicron. He is double vaxxed has, uh, and was within the first six months of the second shot. So he is not eligible for the booster. <laughs> so, so fully vaccinated and still got Omicron. Uh, it doesn't sound like the dude is like exceptionally sick or anything like that. Like he got to feeling bad and went and got tested. So, uh, but there's a second confirmed case in Minnesota. I believe it is. I haven't really seen any other details on that. Uh, they had just announced the first official case like yesterday. And then this morning I saw that there was a second case in Minnesota. I, it's here. It's, it's, honestly probably been here for months they just weren't checking for it so yeah it's it's yeah. happening i guess the blue states will go into another round of lockdowns and florida and everybody else who still has some modicum of common sense will just proceed as usual and the fear mongering will continue you know it's weird is the treatment as far as you know for any of these variants any different than the original uh, COVID-19, like, why are we even testing for these variants? Like, who gives a shit? It's all, it seems to all be the same. I don't know if they actually treat you different if you got Delta or the original COVID or now you got this Omicron thing. See, I don't know. It's, to my knowledge, there is no, like, alternative treatments to one variant as opposed to the other. I mean, you know, the ivermectin stuff, but I didn't, I don't know that that was specific for a variant. That was just something that was being tried and seemed to be having some positive effect. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all sort of, sort of so similar that you wouldn't think that the treatment would be very different, but it would be pretty funny if there's like a, a variant that comes out that like only ivermectin can solve. <laughs> Not and not one of these like knockoff things that they came up with. It's like you have to take the original horse paste and then you watch the fucking corporate press just try to walk that one back. Oh god, would that be delicious? Absolutely delicious. Like I kind of wonder. I kind of wonder how long it's going to take for us to get to the point that the that the federal government is actually going to start to acknowledge that it's endemic that there are a lot of doctors and scientists and other people who have uh who have said that it's going to continue to mutate it's going to continue to change and it <clears throat> excuse me uh what what was it was it denmark that i know there was one of the like norwegian countries that a month or so ago just said they're considering it endemic it's the new flu and they're going to move on with life they're not going to keep uh dicking around with this stuff like, how long is it going to take before the federal government starts to actually acknowledge the real science and say, yeah, um, you know, this thing is here to stay and it's it's not going away. Um, yeah. yeah. And it is really frustrating to see all these so-called scientists that are just completely bought and paid for that are going to toe this party line and, and just sort of keep this gravy train going. And that, you know, that's the thing that. Uh, is as far as I'm concerned, motivating all of these politicians to go along with this. I mean, not only do they get in 
unbelievable power grab that they never could have gotten before. Uh, they're they're all getting filthy fucking rich off of this thing. I mean, I could only imagine being like a lobbyist in D.C. right now for some pharmaceutical uh, company or something. You know what I mean? Like they're they're on a gravy train with biscuit wheels, and and like I don't know how you get them to stop. I mean, people have to just stop going along with it and, and realize that this is the game that they're going to continue to play. I mean, if I was in their position and I was like a scumbag politician, I would just keep doing this over and over again. And if people are going to let me do it, why wouldn't you? Why would you stop? It's, it's working like a charm for, as far as they're concerned. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I've talked about it with you before, but. Like one of the things that I've kind of been hitting on over the last 18 months is the fact that the pharmaceutical lobby is like leaps and bounds the biggest lobby in Washington, D.C. Like ev- everybody knows about the ind- uh, the industrial war complex and, and all of that stuff and uh, the military or the military industrial complex and like those lobbies, the tobacco lobbies, the, uh, you know, a lot of people, for whatever reason, aren't aware of the fact that the pharmaceutical lobby has been the biggest for probably 20 years, if not longer. Like the, and not even close, like the amount of money that the pharmaceutical companies spend lobbying in DC to, to get stuff done and to make sure that they are protected is absolutely insane i mean it's the entire reason that the bear system and the uh the current vaccine or vaccination uh schedule that we have for children and stuff that has existed since the early 80s like it's the reason that all of that exists is because of the pharmaceutical lobby like the, they they are the ones who are pushing and making the the rules and regulations in this country but like so is it any wonder that you know, the bought and paid for politicians are always pushing for universal health care and all of that stuff. Because you know who's going to provide the universal health care and who's going to reap all of the benefits of that? Right, right. And it, it's bizarre that nobody seems to make these connections where, you know, like they complain about uh, medication prices, they complain about health care costs. <laughs> and all, all we have is like this huge lobby in bed with the government coming up with all sorts of schemes and everything that that drive up the cost that drive down the quality that that screw over hundreds of millions of people and and then something like this hits and all of a sudden everybody loves pfizer i i i don't know what this i'm like speechless as far as far as that goes because you, you would think you know, the tobacco industry, the, all these places get demonized throughout the, the corporate press and everything like that. And pharmacy, like big pharma used to get demonized, but they never make the connection between, uh, sorry, was, <laughs> one of the problems with doing alfresco uh, episodes. <laughs> um, I, I forgot what I was saying now. Nobody makes the connection that it's the pharmaceuticals. Yeah, in bed with the government. Like every time you get the government in bed with some uh, company or some industry, it, it's a complete disaster for just about everybody but those two parties. And we've just gotten so used to it. We're, we're so used to the the government getting involved and and using you know private industry as like a a medium for getting to the American people and. And that sort of goes back to all the stuff that you see when, like, when there's a problem presented to the American people. It's like, oh, well, government should do something. And man, look at look at how they're doing so far. <laughs> right, everything they do, not only usually everything that they did is what created the problem, and then everything that they continue to do just compounds the problem. Uh, on that topic, uh, I, I just remembered I looked at an article earlier this morning, uh, pulling this back up. The House's new drug plan is. 31 times as deadly as COVID-19 to date. Uh, so the House has, has passed this new drug plan that basically the way it works is it gives uh, a lot of power to those pharmaceutical companies to extend uh, extend patents on stuff 
and keep stuff from going off of patent so that it makes it more expensive. And it also cuts some of the funding to especially like senior citizens who are on Medicare, Medicaid, stuff like that. Uh, so it's it's going to increase the cost, decrease supply, decrease the ability for uh, innovation and for generics and for like different things to happen in the pharmaceutical industry. It's the whole thing is designed to protect big pharma and make them ridiculously rich and basically fuck everybody who actually needs these medicines and needs them to not be outrageously expensive. But um, I can send you the article and people can check it out. Like it's, it, it it's pretty bad. Granted, it only made it through the house. So there's still the chance that, you know, it could get enough uh, attention between now and then that it could get killed in the Senate. But like, this is this is the government solution to the pharmaceutical industry and to actually providing uh, affordable health care to people is to protect the pharmaceutical companies so that they can carry on their patents for longer, keep stuff from going off patent, keep there from being any innovation in the in the field and and drive prices up. Well, then they'll, they'll blame all the problems on something totally unrelated, just like they're doing with the unvaccinated and COVID, you know, greedy CEOs or something like that. And man, like nobody is greedier than a politician. They're the greediest blood sucking fucking people on the face of the earth, which is why they're in politics to begin with. And, and they're just so good at selling themselves to, to people. And I guess maybe because we spend so much time in government schools that we get propagandized into idolizing these, like the, the worst people on the planet. Um, I mean, maybe, that, you know, we have like serial killers and, and, you know, like child rapists and stuff. Maybe we can talk about uh, good old uh, Giz Lane here in a minute. But I mean, they're pretty far on that, on that totem pole of, of scummy people. And somehow they get to, they get to do whatever the hell they want. They get to ruin the lives of millions of people and blame innocent um, citizens, innocent actors all along the way. And nobody's catching on. Very few people are catching on. I don't know what the libertarian, what they get 2% of the vote last uh, last election. Did they even get to two? Yeah, I think it might have been close to two. <laughs> It'll be different. It'll be different next time. Hopefully, if yeah. Caucus gets their way. Yeah. What's um what's been going on with the the whole I because I you know, it does seem like there's a lot of distractions right now in the media from I mean, granted I'm very distracted. I was hiking a volcano the other day, so um I'm a little out of it, but it seems like this whole um Epstein Gislaine Maxwell trial is not making the headlines that you think it would be. <laughs> Not at all, uh, unless you really look at kind of people in our circles who are focusing on it and talking about it. Like, I, I just scroll through my morning news feed, and I've got a, I got a kind of a healthy blend of The Hill, The Atlantic, CNN, and MSNBC, Fox News, and Zero Hedge. Newsweek, Newsmax, like I, I pull from a pretty wide berth on like the news, uh, the news providers that I look at just to see what everybody's talking about. And I've scrolled through the feed every day and there has not been a single headline from any of them about the Maxwell trial, like nothing. It, it's, it's almost eerie how that is not getting any coverage at all. Like it's Omicron. It's the guy who ran over all of those people in uh, Waukesha. Yeah. Waukesha. Or I guess, I guess it was the car that did it. It wasn't actually the guy. It was the car drove through. So fucking Decepticons, man. I don't know. Um, and then, so it's him Omicron, there was a like a there was a school shooting or something. Uh crap, mm -hmm. now I don't remember where that was. There was a school shooting, like these are the things that are getting the the 
all of the press. They're not talking at all. And then Biden's approval ratings are in the shitter. So like that's getting talked about. But there is not a single headline about the Maxwell case whatsoever. It's. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just wonder what's what is going to shake out from that, because you know that there is just a huge can of worms that could easily be opened if if anybody wants to do the story. And then you think back to like when the whole Epstein story broke. Remember that reporter said that she like had the story and she buried it because like they wanted to cover like the fucking Queen's birthday party or some shit later that year, you know? They wanted access to the royal family. Yeah, what was it? ABC? She had the whole thing on the Epstein case, but because ABC wanted to have access to the royal family for one of the prince's weddings or something like that. They just completely buried it on her and wouldn't and wouldn't let them run even anything about it because it was going to be too inflammatory and basically it would have it would have completely uh, tanked any credibility that that ABC had with the royal family so they just lost all of that coverage. Uh, but yeah, and and that was like that was pretty. I don't know. I at least in our circles that was pretty well known. But how many people in like just that watch mainstream news even saw that or knew anything about it. Like, yeah, apparently not that many because nothing has changed. Like even with all the Epstein memes that are still floating around to this day, you know, they're, they're a little stale now, but people still create them. But yeah, where, where's the media on this one now? Why aren't they covering this? Why aren't they digging into this lady more? I mean, it's, uh, it's absolutely ridiculous that they're they're pulling the same shit and they're burying this story. I've heard the way they're covering the whole Waukesha thing where cars kill people and people don't kill people. And uh, God, it is just fucking despicable. And I, I hope, you know, I do see more and more people waking up to this stuff, but it really does. If, if there was really... Um, a huge amount of people that were catching on and, and actually pushing back on this. You'd think that they'd make an adjustment by now, but I mean, they haven't, they've done almost nothing differently. In fact, they've just gotten worse in, in just about every aspect of news coverage. As far as I've, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. It's been like, like I said, I mean, it's been fucking eerie the way they just, Absolutely have said nothing. I did see a thing this morning that said uh, apparently something that has come out of the trial was uh, Epstein had visited the Clinton White House like 17 times while Clinton was in office. (laughs) So whoever whoever said that is getting suicided like this week. Right. Well, and, you know, we just had this whole Kyle Rittenhouse trial and. You know, you could you could not see coverage of that. I mean, granted, it was bullshit coverage for the most part. And that trial should have probably never even taken place. <laughs> like we were talking about, if it was anything like the movies where it's just like the state would like to dismiss all charges. There's like seven of those opportunities throughout that trial that we saw where they could have just been like, all right, uh, this is over. Like, this is pathetic. And and now you have like this, this trial should be what that trial was in the news. And I haven't seen much. You, you're saying there's all, practically nothing. And I mean, we run in these alternative news circles too. So, I mean, we probably see, you know, 50 to 60% more than the average person uh, as far as these types of stories go. And it's hard for us to find stuff on. Right. That's what's like really crazy about it. Because, you know, for some of the alternative news Sources that people will, you know, dismiss and poo poo as uh, conspiracy crazy shit like Zero Hedge, Epoch Times. Like, there's a bunch of them that they really do good journalism. And, you know, for people who dismiss that stuff, like if you actually take time to look at what they're what they're talking about and and there's legitimate research that's done and, and real journalism going on with a lot of those stories. And even when like a lot of those don't have anything any coverage coming from this stuff like it that's it's that's what is strikes me as so weird is just how little it is even from the alternative news sources like yeah. and, and i guess i guess maybe that's in some way to or uh, by design like i know the the judge had 
basically come out and said that she wasn't going to allow any like public information to be shared on on the case, which, you know, that seems that seems pretty fucked up just in and of itself. Like when the judge came out before the case even started, before the trial even started and said that no information was going to be allowed to the public because it would be too inflammatory. Like, okay, who who's padding your pockets? Who are you protecting? Because you already know what's coming out of this if you're, you know, preemptively preventing information from coming out of it. Yeah, they're real concerned about inflammatory information getting out. Like, who's going to riot based off of the uh, Ghislaine Maxwell verdict versus the Kyle Rittenhouse? You know what I mean? Like, they don't give a shit about that. You know somebody got to that fucking judge. If they can get to a guy in fucking prison under you know, suicide watch, 24-hour surveillance, they can definitely get to a fucking judge. Um, yeah. I, do, I have seen, like, every once in a while, I'd, I'd see an article on Zero Hedge, like, recapping what happened that day in the trial. But it's like, I don't know, it's just, like, so mechanical and trying. It's just like, here's what exactly took place over the course of the day. And there's not, like, a whole lot of detail there. Um, and there's nothing, like, you know, there's no, like, smoking gun or, like, anything that's, like, remotely interesting as far as I've, uh, as far as I've seen. But I have seen them at least recap, like, you know, trial day three, trial day four. Here's what was said. It's like, okay, I guess that's as good as we're going to do. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to run through and see if I can find much of anything. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of, just, just not a lot out there. And, and what, and like you were saying, like, it's real mechanical. Like, what is out there? It isn't real substantive. Like it's there's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of good information being given. It's just kind of a, a matter of fact of you know it's the like, trials taking place and these are the people who were talking that they didn't want to do. And it's like here's here's what you have to cover. It's like okay, fine. I'll like begrudgingly talk about what was said at this trial for a day and like who which witnesses were called. But like yeah, I don't know. It just. It does seem like they're uh, they're burying that behind a bunch of other bullshit, which they love to do. And everybody gets riled up about the dumbest stories, like the and the ones that either shouldn't be stories in the first place, or are completely um, misrepresented in the corporate press, or blown out of proportion by the media. And it's uh, and that that's what they've always done. That's what they continue to do. And the only white pill that I guess I could see is that alternative podcasts and things like that are gaining some steam. But hmm, it, it certainly seems like a pretty big uphill battle we got going on. What's um? So what's going on with these approval ratings? I saw that the the jobs numbers were a big mess. It's like two hundred and ten thousand. And they were expecting like, you know, 550,000 or something like that. Somewhere around that, 550 to 575. The uh, the economy is not looking too strong under Build Back Better. So I wouldn't be surprised if Biden's numbers are even lower than they were before. Is that even possible? He's been, he's been pretty consistently hovering in the 40 to 45% approval rating, which is... Uh, extremely low i mean it's i don't know i don't i think like i think that's about as low as trump ever got i don't think trump got much below 42 or 45 percent so like he's he's pretty pretty far down there especially when you consider i mean this was the most popular presidential candidate of history he got more votes than any victor ever and now he has a 40 to 45% approval rating, but not to be outdone. Kamala Harris has like a 28% approval rating. And apparently she's like hemorrhaging staffers. Uh, I was looking at an article before we got started that said that she has staff quitting and leaving the White House because they do not want to be associated as Harris people going into the next election cycle like that they're trying to remove themselves from her as far as they can get because she 
she's just carrying a stink about her that that the whole the whole de- uh, Democratic Party wants to get away from. Well, I say the Democratic Party, except for the DNC itself. For some reason, they seem committed to uh, Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg as the 2024 uh, ticket if Biden doesn't run for re-election. Which <laughs> right. there, there's a lot to unpack right there. But I, I remember thinking, and I think I mentioned this on the show when you know when they were still going through the debates and everything, and like trying to come up with their candidates. I was like. The worst, absolute worst combination would be Joe Biden and then having her, her, him pick Kamala Harris as VP. And I was like, that would, like, if they do that, they're trying to lose this election on purpose. Like, this is horrible. Nobody likes either of these people. Kamala Harris, it, you know, that must be weird to be like in the spotlight, like spotlight like that and just know that nobody likes you. And you're walking around like they have to like kind of uh, respect you because you're the VP, but nobody can stand you. Nobody. Did you see where some journalist asked her about inflation and she said she, she got real, <laughs> she got real tongue tied and said that, well, prices go up. Like that was her, that was her entire uh, explanation of inflation. Yeah, I mean, these, not only is she just unlikable, these people are just not impressive in any way. They've never like really accomplished anything. And, you know, I can't speak as a person of color, but if I was a person of color, people like Kamala Harris that clearly have only gotten places because she plays that fucking race card and because she's a woman and blah, 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 this and that, like she's either like, Indian or something, or she's black, depending on the situation, or she's a woman. And like, which one of these three cards is like going to win this hand for me throughout life? And it's like, that's got to be like, you know, that stigmatizes everybody else who actually is an impressive person who can accomplish things on their own and doesn't have to lean on this like ridiculous uh, mentality, this like racially obsessed, gender obsessed society that we have created. And see, I think that's the entire reason that the DNC is so committed to trying to force her down uh, Democrats' throats is because she does check all of those boxes. She is a she is a woman. She is black. She is Indian. She her parents were immigrants. It, like she checks every box that they have on there. You know, all the things that we need to to talk about. Uh, she hits all of those points. Just yeah. so happens that she completely fucking sucks. Yeah. And <laughs> it really is. I mean, that's something I guess you could say, like people, a lot of people do care about those things, but not to the point where they're going to support Kamala Harris, a, a person that despicable who would easily, uh, you know, suppress exonerating DNA evidence to people that are like on death row or facing life in prison so that, you know, she doesn't have a blemish on her bullshit record when she runs for, I don't know, the next author. You know, there are people out there that are so racially obsessed, but they're not just going to like anybody. And uh, I guess there's something to be said for that. Apparently only about 28% of people will uh, actually just like anybody for the uh, racial and sex side of things on the Buttigieg stuff is just so awful every time i see like a story, he's like sitting on a swing or something with his boyfriend what, what the uh, i don't know man. They, they're they're so fucking toned up it's unbelievable unbelievable that they were even able to pull off this election in this last cycle um, crazy i still can't believe did you see the thing this this is going to derail just a little bit but did you see uh it's been a couple months ago Andrew Yang left the Democratic Party and like his his exit uh, letter or whatever was pretty impressive. Like he's he's gone independent now. And basically, like what he boiled it down to was that the, the Democratic Party, the DNC is so tone deaf and doesn't understand what people actually want. The, like he just couldn't align himself with it and do it anymore. Um, like I don't particularly care for Andrew Yang on some of his more. Uh, like socialist economic 
policy type stuff. But overall, he's not terrible, I guess. Uh, of the Democratic candidates, if I like gun to my head, I had to pick one of them. It probably would have either been him or Tulsi. And like, he's not terrible, but he he ultimately decided to just leave the Democratic Party because it's such a shit show and not representative of what average human beings care about. Like, like when when one of the shining stars of the party acknowledges that and leaves, that should be a like that should be a beacon to the rest of the party that, hey, maybe we should reconsider some of this bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, no, he always had a, a pretty good head on his shoulders. He's a likable guy. He, he's not a career politician. So, uh, you, you know, he's not like totally ensconced in that bubble that these other imbeciles are in. And, it, you know, it reminds me a lot of like the whole uh, like woke libertarian group that are just so fucking tone deaf to what like actually converts people to libertarianism. It's sort of similar to that. It's not nearly as bad as uh what i've seen from the dnc but yeah you know they can have somebody like tulsi gabbard who's who checks all those boxes too but she doesn't have the um you know the party line approved opinion on on one aspect and uh i guess that's a deal breaker that well i mean that's the way they that's the way they are it, it is you either embrace a hundred percent of their ideology or you're a white supremacist and you need to be removed from the party. I mean, that's, <laughs> it does, it does seem like it's, you know, raveling, unraveling pretty quick, just like the, the media as well. You know, like they're, they're stuck in this antiquated model. Like this is how we've done things. And that, that is like, you know, these are big bumbling bureaucracies that are very slow to change. Even if they wanted to change, it would take them for fucking ever to actually accomplish it. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're just stuck in these antiquated models and you can see it just coming apart at the seams. I wish I could accelerate it even faster though. I don't know how to, how to blow this whole thing up. Um, you know, figuratively, not literally for all the feds out there, but, um, yeah, I, I just want this whole thing to come crashing down so that we can at least try something else. Uh, but you know, that again goes back to this whole thing of preparing people for that event and to look toward the right, you know, they're going to come to a crossroads and it's like, okay, well, we, do we go like full totalitarian socialism, whatever, or do we go this way toward liberty and freedom and, you know, sound economics, hard money. And, uh, and yeah. it's going to, it's going to be a, a big PR campaign. To uh, to get them to turn the right way. Yeah, the unfortunate thing is, is if left to the average idiot, it'll go towards the totalitarian socialism because most people are too stupid to realize that the government, like government action, is what put us in this place to begin with. And every like you know, like we talked about earlier in this episode, like the things that the government has done created the problem and then their solutions to the problem just expound the problem and create a whole myriad of new problems that then they have to salute or have to come up with a solution for and it's you know it's this vicious cycle but people for whatever reason aren't picking up on that and i mean yeah and and that's one of the reasons why you know this libertarian insider stuff with like dave smith running for a president or something we've never had somebody up there on the stage that can articulate that issue it's always like well here's a problem what's your government going to do or what's your government going to do and they each have like you know there's like this like super duper government solution or like a little less government than that right and it's just like how about the fact that you guys started all of this and every single election cycle, we're talking about the exact same shit over and over and over again. How, how many times do we have to talk about healthcare costs? Like you've had, I don't know, 60 fucking years to fix it. And it's done nothing but getting exponentially worse every year. The same thing with the, the cost of education, 
housing, you name it, anything they do gets exponentially worse every year. And every four years, we all take to the stage, talk about how they're going to fix the problem that they were supposed to be fixing 60 fucking years ago. And there's never been somebody up on stage to just completely derail that conversation, except for Ron Paul. And uh, we all know what happened with him. It was, it was a very successful uh, movement that just kind of got derailed. Some say um, intentionally. I don't know what happened with Iowa, but yeah. I mean, it, it would make sense that it would be intentional. Like to to have a candidate who is actively going out and saying things that oppose everything that the state has built itself up on for the last 150 years. Uh, and to have that candidate say these things and gain like really, I mean, he, Ron Paul was very popular when he was saying those things. Like people kind of had this, oh shit moment where they realized uh, like there was somebody willing to say the things that are truthful about it. Uh, so, I mean, I have no doubt that it was deliberate that they like he was he was probably derailed by the RNC. Like they're not they weren't going to go out of their way to, you know, actively remove him from his position or or do anything to really, really rock the boat and and get legitimate attention. But they definitely I'm I would almost put money on it that they definitely did something to ensure that he had less of an impact than if he had been allowed to just continue to to have success. I mean, it's a trillion dollar, multi-trillion dollar industry at this point. Uh, they're not just going to let some guy get in there and wreck that for them. I mean, this is the biggest boondoggle, honeypot, whatever you want to call it, you know, money grab, power grab that's ever existed. We're, we're going to spend, what, $7 trillion again this year or something like that. Um, they're not just going to walk away from that quietly. And you know, what's funny when you talk to all these people that are like really anti-privatization, pro, you know, socialization, government, whatever, they're always like, oh, you can't take on these big, powerful corporations. And look at this government that we've got. Now. There's nothing more powerful than that. And it's, it's virtually impossible to take down unless you can gather the support of millions and millions of people. Well, and for the people that don't think you can take on the corporations, they don't understand that the reason those corporations are as big, are as powerful, exist in the way that they do right now is because of the cooperation that they have with the government. Your government is not doing anything to limit those corporations. Your government is not doing anything to keep them from being that big and that powerful. In fact, it's the exact opposite of that. They are enabling it and have created it. Like that's that's where that power comes from, but ha but they don't understand that. Like they don't they don't understand the the ideas of corporatism and the fact that public and private are you know ha hands in the same pockets. Like they're they are uh, very familiar bedfellows at this point. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great point. <laughs> they, it's not like they're um, they're sitting on the sidelines and these corporations are just taking over. They're picking, you know, whichever ones I'm sure line their pockets thoroughly enough. Those are the ones that get to write all the legislation that keep them on top of that hill. And uh, yeah, it, it is just the most incestuous relationship you can imagine. And there's no, like, you, you cannot have a solution that involves one of those two parties with coming up with some idea to fix it because they're not going to fix it. It's like when Bernie Sanders gets up there and rails against the, you know, uh, lobbyists, like owning all these uh, politicians or something like that. It's like, well, yeah, as long as you guys are stealing seven trillion dollars from the American people and you're going to dole it out to the highest bidder, there's going to be people bidding because they'd much rather be in bed with you and on top of the mountain than, you know, out of business or struggling to get by. So. How do you solve? There, there's no political solution for that other than getting rid of all of Washington and taking away all of that power. And then there's nobody to bid for it. And they can just deal with the, the customers in the marketplace. And we can uh, we can vote with our dollars like the ultimate democracy. Right. Like that's the only way that people act like you can't take on those big corporations. But the way that you take on those big corporations is to 
stymie the monopoly that they hold on on their you know centers of power. If it's easier for private businesses to actually start and startups and stuff like that to actually do business and to be competitive without having to jump through all the legal and bureaucratic loopholes that are uh, you know hoops that have been created by the system to prevent competition from becoming prevalent you know, that's how you take those on but as long as as long as the the regulations are in place that prevent those competitors from even having a chance to start up much less to become competitive like the, there's nothing is ever going to change okay so i'm going to sidetrack us a little bit more um there was there was a lot of racial talk going on on Twitter earlier in the week, and I had a good conversation with a young woman on Wednesday night about all that crazy stuff that happened. And one of the things that she and I both talked about, which, and it was really funny because uh, as we get to talking, we we agreed on a lot of stuff, and maybe not so much on solutions to the problems, but we both identified a lot of the same problems. And one of them was that we talked about was like for the uh, minority communities, especially the black communities, it's virtually impossible for people in those communities to start their own thing, to have their own business, to get any kind of funding or anything to divorce themselves from being completely reliant on the government teeth, which I like. Like, I know that's by design. Like, that's that's the way the system is set up, is to keep those people under the thumb of the government so that they have no choice but to be reliant. And once you create a reliant class that has to have gov- the government support, then you've got their vote for eternity because they're reliant on you. Like, n- no, nobody in those communities is going to go vote for Republicans who are suggesting not giving them 100% support from cradle to grave when you have the other side that is wanting to support them from cradle to grave, even though the actual solution is to remove all the restrictions that are keeping them from being uh, in uh, having their own thing, like doing doing the thing that would make them independent of that system. Like that's the solution. But because nobody's presenting that solution and it's all either you rely on us or we take that we take it away i think it's a it's a rigged system and it's pretty fucked up it's despicable what what they have done to the black community is so much fucking worse than actual physical slavery they've created you know they they've made them feel like victims they've enslaved their minds and destroyed their their entire uh, way of life, anything that could possibly be done. When you think you're a victim and you have nothing but you know 24 hours of like, oh, this is because of this and this is because of that, and like you can never do this. And this is rigged against you and it's rigged. It. Man, in like fucking with people's mind, it, in my opinion, is so much worse than physically, you know, uh, abusing them. Uh, what they've done, and you know, the black me, like, do you have any idea? how much money black chicks spend on their hair. It's unfucking believable. They're ordering hair in Thailand and it gets shipped in and they, and they sit in a chair for like four and a half hours and they like stitch it to their fucking head. And there's like only a couple places that are licensed to do that sort of hair work. And the license is like, you know, it, it, you have to get like a two year beauty degree thing costs like 40 grand. Or you could just let people braid each other's hair. How about that? Like, but, and that could be a very successful business for a lot of people. I always like, I have like some uh, black friends back in Chicago and they're always like struggling to find places to get their hair done. And they're always complaining like, oh, they made me sit there for two and a half hours before my appointment. She was like an hour late and all this shit. They get treated terribly because there's nobody else that can do it. And that's just one like tiny, tiny example. But yeah, what they have done to that whole population is it's, it's saddens me uh, to, to just see people that have been psychologically abused to that point. And it, it's, man, it's, it's really hard to crack that. Well, and like uh, I've got, I've got friends and, and know people you know, from where I'm, I'm from that, 
have tried to start food trucks or start restaurants and stuff like that. And usually, like a lot of times they can they can get started. But then once they start to have some success and they start to get hit with all of the like. Once state and local government start paying attention to them because they are being successful, then they start getting hit with all these certificates and registrations and licenses and everything else. And then they get start getting hit with all of these taxes and everything else. It's just like as soon as they start to find some level of success, then they get tramped back down, stomped under the boot and the whole thing falls apart and they have to close up shop. Like, yeah, And it's not. It's not the government that's like, oh, you have a very successful business going there. It's, you know, Joe Schmo who already had that business going and you're now nipping at his heels. Who's like, hey, government, uh, remember that licensing thing? This guy doesn't have it. And maybe you should go look into, you know, it's like these whistleblowers that are like ratting people out because they're afraid that you're going to cut into their business a little bit. It's actually happening with uh, Johnny the Jew. From the old early peddling fiction days, he might be going by Johnny Empanada now. I was talking to him a few months ago and he started making these empanadas and he had like some, I don't know, some viral TikTok video or something that like millions of people saw. And he's just like outside selling these empanadas like in a park and he's getting like a lot of fuck, you know, it's like a mixed thing. It's like some people are like, oh, I've always wanted to do that. But what about these like food and drug things and the licensing? And then there are other people like, do you have a license to be making those empanadas and like you could be poisoning people? <laughs> just like, oh man, it's it's a mixed bag. But that's a great example with just like food and like hair and like simple things that like your life is not at stake when you're get, getting a bad haircut or something. Like, okay, I get like, you know, I don't want licensing for like law degrees or like uh, medical stuff like that either. I'd get rid of it all. But you know, we can leave those in place for a while. How about we let people get their hair cut and eat a fucking taco off the street if they want to? Right. Like, what happened to allowing people to make personal decisions? Like, if I want to go get an empanada from somebody that looks kind of sketchy over on the corner because it looks like it might be good and I get food poisoning, that's on me. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you'll just be spending a few extra hours in the bathroom. It's no big deal. We all get over it, but uh, yeah, for, decision, I, you know, for sure, right around 2020, March, April, something like that. And if I do get food poisoning and I spend a few extra hours in the bathroom, that gives me time to play on Twitter. So there you go. Yeah. And set up the rumble stuff and everything. We got to, uh, you did derail us because I thought I was setting us up perfectly to talk about your ethanol thing. Oh, okay. So. We were talking about, you know, companies getting in bed with the government before we went into the whole uh, racial licensing, government being evil thing. Hey, I mean, sometimes the topics just kind of come it up. It was a tangent. You can't stop a good tangent. I know. That's that's the cool thing about having a conversation like this is sometimes you think of stuff and you get to have a, a good conversation on it. Um, yeah, it's better than talking to myself in a room. <laughs> I know how that goes. Uh, so I was looking at this. It's a Market Watch article. It's it's time to admit that ethanol and gasoline has failed to fulfill its promises, except farmers. Uh, if you've pumped gas in the U.S. service station over the past decade, you've put biofuel in your tank. Thanks to the Federal Renewable Fuel Standard, almost all gasoline sold nationwide is required to contain 10% ethanol, a fuel made from plant sources, mainly corn. So. In 2005 was when this really started to take off and become a big thing. Uh, corn and ethanol is not something new. It's it's existed for I don't know probably probably for as long as gasoline or anything else. Like it's not uh, particularly hard to make. It's effectively the same uh, process as distilling alcohol. Um, so they figured out, you know, that they could that they could make it at a high enough concentration that it can be used as a fuel source. And so there was a big push in mid 2000s, uh, like I said, around 2004, 2005 was when it really started to hit for corn based ethanol and soybean based biodiesel. And the Bush administration and the USDA, like everybody, they went all in on it. 
really pushing that like it had to be the minimum 10% ethanol, uh, pushing the car or the autom- automotive manufacturers to create vehicles that could handle that because the thing that like the thing with ethanol is it burns a lot hotter. So if you're putting like straight ethanol or too much of an ethanol mix into a regular engine that can't handle it, uh, it burns hot and it'll it'll burn it up. Um, and there are even engines that are designed specifically to take the E85, which is a much higher concentration of ethanol uh, so that they don't burn up. But that's all kind of beside the point. Uh, so this renewable fuel thing, they really pushed hard on the corn. But at the time, there wasn't enough of a corn supply in the country to fuel all of these ethanol plants that were being built. And then like, and that that's like not saying there wasn't enough corn after exports and domestic use and everything for like for food and feed and, and whatnot. Like there wasn't enough corn supply, period. Like you could take 100% of the corn produced in the country and push it all into ethanol and still not produce the amount of ethanol that the federal government wanted to be made. On top of that, corn-based ethanol is one of the, and possibly the least efficient forms of ethanol on the planet. Like ethanol can be produced from just about anything. Uh, so uh, what a lot of these ethanol companies were doing is they were buying sugarcane based ethanol from South America and using that to using that to subsidize their ethanol production so that they can meet the numbers that were being required by the federal government. <laughs> so so you've got all of that. And then on top of that, because the federal government was subsidizing ethanol and biodiesel so much, it caused all of the commodity prices, corn and, and beans, to go through the fucking roof. So so then you've got like these ridiculously inflated commodity prices, which is now fucking up the the food markets. So if you've wondered why your food has gotten a lot more expensive over the last 15 years, it's because corn and soybeans, which are you know two of the primary things that are used as as uh, animal feed, they have gone through the fucking roof because of all of these ethanol subsidies. So so that's driven your the price of beef and and chicken and everything else up, uh, and then. And then that also, because the farmers were making more off of those commodities because of those subsidies, that then in turn drove the land prices up, drove equipment prices up, drove fertilizer prices up. So like you could almost link like everything going up in price over the last 15 years to the federal government subsidizing and pushing for these renewable fuels when in reality, instead of trying to push the domestic production of it, we could have been importing it from South America cheaper and more efficiently than any of this, like doing it the way they've done it. And I was saying this shit when it first, when they first started doing it back in 2005, 2006, I was in college and I'm an ag major, uh, go figure. I mean, I, I really live up to the, the hillbilly boy uh, modicum, but I was an ag major. And so a lot of this stuff was really hitting as I was in my junior and senior year. And I started really like researching and, and looking at it, especially because in the area that I live, there were two ethanol plants that were going in uh, really close to each other. Uh, and and it's also a, a big agricultural area, a lot of a lot of corn, a lot of soybeans that are grown in that area. So I was really digging into it and it's like, why the fuck are we doing this? Like, OK, like short term. Yeah, this is great for the farmers, like the ones who are who are in it are going to make money just hand over fist selling selling their higher price uh crops but this is going to have a really bad impact on literally everything else going forward and sure enough here we are like i feel like fucking uh the redneck nostradamus but like it's <laughs> for you <laughs> yeah that's yeah. government for you it's a perfect example of just the ripple effect from them forcing something into the market that would not normally be there because, you know, some greedy actors were like, hey, government, how about this? And now now look at the hundreds of millions of people's lives are now exponentially worse off. And we, we, you know, we might not even know um, 
what what would have been you know the whole scene for some okay now we can see that these farmers get to you know use their corn and soy for ethanol and biodiesel whatever but what you know what alternative energy sources could we have come up with what would have happened if we didn't divert all these resources to this thing and force you know a round peg into a square hole or whatever square into a round forget how that saying goes trying to remember what the what the total cost was it was billions upon billions of dollars that the the federal government pumped into these all of these uh ethanol subsidies and getting these ethanol plants built like uh like basically if you had a couple acres and a few hundred thousand dollars and a something that even moderately resembled a business plan uh for building an ethanol plant like you could get the government to just give you millions of millions and millions of dollars to build an ethanol plant. Uh, like there were multiple ethanol plants that started and then never actually got built. Like they would lay the groundwork and get all the money and then never do anything with it. And I don't think there were any repercussions for any of that stuff. Like but there's one back home where I'm from that to this day, it's just a big cleared out piece of land and a couple of little small buildings that they got put up on it. Like it was supposed to be this big impressive ethanol plant and then they did like they laid the groundwork for it and then mysteriously the money just disappeared and <laughs> like oh it, yeah it's it's sickening when you think about how much waste fraud and abuse that they claim every year to be cutting from the budget that uh, just goes and and oh it, it is just absolutely sickening and that nobody seems to be learning these lessons, um, at least not enough people to make a difference. Yeah, so the uh, the total production of liquid cellulosic biofuels has hovered around 10 million gallons per year. The federal government with their RFS program called for 16 billion gallons to be produced by 2022. Yeah, I'll solve everything. Like they they put together this huge, you know, this big plan, and it was never based in reality. Like I was saying, like to produce 16 billion gallons of renewable fuels uh, from from ethanol and biodiesel using corn and soybeans, and it would literally consume. And my numbers may not be accurate now because I haven't done a whole lot of research on it in the last six or eight years. But at the time that I was in the industry to produce the levels that they were requiring, there would have to be like a 150 to 180% uh, production. Like you can't, <laughs> That's it's fucking impossible. Like they don't even set realistic expectations and, and somehow somehow you know you're supposed to get to that like that it's it's fucking insane yes and it is a great example of it just embodies everything that's wrong with the government policy um like like you said it it it, it fucking infects everything everything from the cost of land to the dinner that you're eating tonight is all incre- increased unnecessarily because of this worthless government policy that doesn't do any like our cars aren't any more efficient because of this ethanol right no No, in fact it's it's the opposite they're actually the it actually makes your vehicle less efficient uh it actually doesn't burn any cleaner uh there's like there's it's the whole okay so the whole point of this renewable fuel source program was to reduce the american reliance on oil and gas and oil-based gasoline except that it doesn't take into account the fact that these uh these are not any they're not any better like they're not any more uh environmentally friendly like not that i'm you know a big proponent of something that's more environmentally friendly like the the amount of co2 and and methane produced by the average vehicle is um pretty insignificant in the grand scheme of things, especially when you look at, you know, like you're, you got to go hike an active volcano. If that thing went off, uh, it would trump what every vehicle on the planet puts out 
you know, CO2 wise. So every like 15 minutes, I saw tons of eruptions. It was amazing. Right. So like just that in and of itself is the metrics that they use for that are to somebody who doesn't have any fucking clue how the planet works. They may look bad, but like it, it's it's all inconsequential. Like the the CO two and whatever that's put out by automobile automobiles and everything else. It, it's it's really not that big a deal. But and it's also been going on for like the last five hundred years at least that we know of. So I don't think our man made climate change has anything to do with it either. But um, I think we got to wrap here pretty soon because I got a wedding to go to. I'm sure you got something to do with your, you know, what do you have? Two dozen kids now? What are you up to? Still just the five, but uh, oh. I do have to. We're, one of them, the 18 year old, finally, uh, I think it was his like 18th attempt. He finally passed his permit test. So he's getting a vehicle. So I got to get the uh, insurance and license, help him get his licensing and all that stuff taken care of. So good times. Yeah, lots of fun. Well, uh, yeah, I guess we're the only other thing I have to announce is that we are officially, as of today, one week away from the Sayulita Super Spreader. So this time next Friday, I will be like getting the event space ready. Be driving down, I think, with Mark Claire and uh, Anthony Samarov and maybe uh, another person. I'm not sure. I got to make some other arrangements there, but we're we're a go. Ladies and gentlemen, so you can still get your tickets if you if you're a last minute uh, kind of person. Fly down for the weekend or the week. It's going to be an unbelievable time. We're going to have a blast. It's me, Mark Claire, Anthony Samaroff, uh, Clint from Liberty Lockdown, Buck Johnson from Counterflow, and uh, Robbie the Fire. COVID Jesus will be there as well for a libertarian weekend of fun in the sun. I can't wait. Uh, I couldn't talk Justin into ditching the Brady Bunch family and joining us, but um, so he'll be missed, but there'll be a bunch of other people there. It's going to be a lot of fun. So go to sightly2superspreader.eventsmart.com. You can still get your tickets for another uh, five or six days or so, something like that. And join us in Sayulita for a, a mask-free weekend of uh, tequila drinking and podcasting. And surfing or whatever else you want to do. Anything you want to add? Wish I could get away, but just got too much going on right now. Yeah, well, hopefully uh, this will be a smashing success and we can do it again next year. And um, so, yeah, go get your tickets to that. Follow us on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. And if you want to join us, uh, not next Friday for the hat. Well, maybe I will make it a live. No, because everybody's going to be there. But every other Friday, we do a happy hour. You just got to become a supporting listener of the show by going to peddlingfictionpodcast.com and setting up a recurring monthly donation. And if you guys can do all that for me, we will be back next week. We'll probably resume our regular schedule now, at least on Tuesday. Do a Tuesday, Friday thing. Because I'll be back in Mexico if all goes according to plan with a brand new episode for you. And until then, you guys know the drill. Just keep on peddling that so-called fiction.